Chapter 6, Interlude 2 Adam's eyes are wary and his small body is tense, though his words are calm and coolly delivered. So, lived then, did you? He has the them standing behind him. Aziraphale would be surprised by this, normally, but he knows things now. In brief flashes only, he hasn't had the time to learn how to control anything yet. And his knowing reveals that Adam has pulled them into his secret. The angel doesn't begrudge him that. There are some obstacles a person, especially a child, shouldn't have to weather without the support of his friends. And Aziraphale knows that, when the time comes, the humans will need to understand what is happening around them. The more they can pull into the inner circle of their armies, the better off the earth will be. Crowley hovers at Aziraphale's side, so close that the shoulder of his suit jacket brushes against Aziraphale's own sleeve. He had miracled himself some clothes before getting into the patiently waiting Bentley, once the shock of what had just happened had worn off enough for Crowley to make the drive. Yes, Aziraphale assures. I'm quite all right. We both are. How are you all? Pepper and Brian trade glances. Wensleydale stares at Aziraphale with wide eyes. Aziraphale can feel the boy's superficial emotions. They burn bright with awe and a reverence that makes the angel... former angel? distinctly uncomfortable. Have you gotten yourself any butterflies yet, Wensleydale? Aziraphale asks gently. I should be happy to go over the catalogue with you later if you're having trouble picking a breed. Wensleydale's brows draw close. You'd do that with me still? Aziraphale steps forward and gently squeezes the boy's thin shoulder. Of course. It's what friends do together, isn't it? He relaxes, watching the awe and intimidation ease away under the stronger, more genuine emotions of fondness and excitement. Yeah, I'll bring it tomorrow. Will you be there tomorrow? Crowley nods, answering for both of them. We need a break. Think we'll spend a few days at the cottage, as long as your mum doesn't mind, Pepper. Pepper shrugs. She won't, most likely. Got held up on the changes to the kitchen cause the construction blocks are waiting on parts. Can't do anything in here until then. Crowley and Pepper end up catching up about the state of Noodle, drifting over to the snake's home. Wensleydale and Brian volunteer to take their bikes down to the grocer's and get everyone some lunch. Adam and Aziraphale walk together into the backyard. Aziraphale watches Adam climb up the branches of the ash, his golden head popping up from a window on the first floor of the treehouse. The boy peers down at him with a thoughtful expression. What should I call you, now? Aziraphale is good enough, isn't it? Aziraphale is fine, I meant what do you dominion over exactly? We learned about Greek gods in school. They all were dominioning over things. God of war, goddess of love, that stuff. What are you? Aziraphale can track Crowley's movements in the cottage. Standing directly over Noodle's enclosure, dropping a mouse in for her. Moving, probably with Pepper, into the cordoned off area where the new kitchen will be. Hovering near a window, peeking out at Aziraphale and Adam from behind the smudged glass. If he actually tries, really puts forth the effort, he can track them, too. Adam in the tree above him, Pepper walking the length of the new stove, Brian and Wensleydale browsing the aisles at the grocer's and spending far too long around the tank with the live lobsters in it. With a slightly harder push, he can feel anathema and nude in Jasmine Cottage. 
Shetwell and Tracy in their flat in London. Charles, who delivers Aziraphale's mail to the shop, driving down the road in his truck. Maria and Kyle, two of their favorite waitstaff from the Ritz, at uni and at his parents' bungalow, respectively. Jeanette and Inovic, asleep in her bed, her daughter Sandy in the living room, surreptitiously watching telly with the volume way down. Karen, whose prayer he'd recently answered by healing her daughter Iris's terrible cough, saying her rosary at her local village church. Farah playing soccer in the park, and Jin and his family eating a meal, and Amara and Rebecca together in their dormitory room, sweaty and tangled together on the bed, and Hakim and Mikhail, and Jama and Tim and Peter and Neil and Terry and... Hey, Adam says sharply. Aziraphale's attention comes snapping back like a rubber band. He blinks slowly. So sorry, he says, dazed. What was I saying? I asked what your dominion is. What do you serve? Aziraphale licks his dry lips and lifts a shoulder in a slight shrug. Oh, people? People? Yes. What, all of them? If they'd have me. And even if they won't, I suppose. Wouldn't be very fair otherwise, would it? Aziraphale got of people? Crowley's feet are soft in the grass, but he purposefully makes a lot of noise as he approaches Aziraphale from behind, stepping into his natural position at the former angel's side. God of humanity, Crowley corrects. It's a double meaning, you see. Humanity of humans. Humanity of the benevolence, compassion and goodness that defines the human race at its best. Aziraphale offers the demon a grin. Yes, he agrees warmly. Quite right. Crowley pushes the plate of sandwiches closer to Aziraphale's hand. The them have already eaten their fill and now lounge around the cottage's living room, chattering amiably back and forth about how they're going to, someday, save the planet from destruction. Aziraphale squeezes the demon's hand briefly in thanks. For all his new divinity has changed him, it cannot restore on its own what hell had taken. He still lacks the joy and simple pleasures he had left behind in the circle of gluttony. The taste of the bread, cheese and turkey is like gritty ash on his tongue. He manages to swallow down two or three bites before pushing it aside. Crowley strokes his fingertips over the harsh hollow of Aziraphale's cheek. I won't be satisfied myself until you've found that joy again he says unhappily. Six thousand years of bodies and none of them have ever been left starving like this. You're not you without those indulgences you like so much. Aziraphale nuzzles into the demon's palm, sighing with contentment when Crowley doesn't pull away and, indeed, allows the breath of his fingers to spread out over Aziraphale's jaw, cradling it possessively. We've achieved so much so far. Aziraphale reminds him. This is, what did you say? Drops in a bucket. It doesn't matter. It matters to me, Crowley argues. Not a very good acolyte, can't even keep my god in offerings and libations. Aziraphale huffs a soft laugh. My dear, you will never be a mere acolyte to me. You're an apostle at the least. Crowley's yellow eyes go bright and sharp behind his glasses. Mmm, spreading the good word, 
New Pope, that's me. In the old days, he would have expected this to get a rise out of the angel, setting off an amusingly righteous tangent that would go on for an hour at least. Now, Aziraphale smiles his own wicked grin. We could get you a very tall hat. Aziraphale comes back to reality to find Adam Young staring at him with serious eyes. Hello, the boy greets. Hello, Aziraphale says back automatically. He looks around himself. He's sitting cross-legged in the backyard. When he'd first sat down, the sun had been peeking over the horizon. Now it's high in the sky, well past noon. The former angel hums, thoughtfully, at the side. Where'd you go? Adam asks. He, too, is sitting cross-legged in the grass. He has a massive hole in the knee of his jeans and a long streak of something sticky down the front of his t-shirt. Aziraphale smiles at him, feeling warm inside as well as out in the combined light of Adam and the sun. Oh, nearly everywhere, I expect. I was answering prayers. What kind of prayers? Aziraphale hums again. Well, a young person in Georgia is having a rough time of it. They're living with their father now, and they're not happy. There? Adam echoes. They aren't a girl or a boy. I don't think they know that yet. Right now they go by Charlotte, and they're hopelessly homesick for Montana, where their mother lives with her new boyfriend. Oh, that's too bad. Aziraphale nods. I sent them a postcard booklet. As if it were a freebie in the mail? The booklet comes from a gift shop in Helena, that's in Montana, and it has lots of pictures of the places they remember visiting as a child. That's good, isn't it? That's enough? Maybe not enough, Adam replies carefully. But's good, I think. It'd help, if it was me. Aziraphale relaxes slightly. He'd worried. Karen's daughter, Iris, is sick again. I keep treating what I can, but it's not going to help in the longer term. She has a hereditary condition. Her immune system is compromised. Adam tilts his head thoughtfully. Why don't you just get rid of the condition like you do the sickness? Aziraphale picks at his sleeve. It already has a hole in it, though, and when he sees the flash of gold of Crawley's mark on his skin beneath it, he stops fretting the fabric with his fingernails. Because in 1993, Iris is going to die of complications. And when she does, Karen will move away from the city she lives in back to her hometown. And there she will reconcile with her estranged sister. And the two of them will go on to start a charity that will, by 2020, provide enough funding to develop a treatment that will circumvent the symptoms of the condition and save thousands of future lives. Adam's interested gaze goes sorrowful and very dark. You could fix all that, he argues. You could make the condition disappear entirely, make it so no one ever has it now or ever again. Aziraphale shakes his head. I can't, Adam. It's all connected. If I were to go into the genetic code of all these people and eliminate the condition entirely, it would impact the entire course of human history in ways that I cannot even begin to imagine. Whole empires could crumble under the weight of such changes. I'd do it, Adam says sharply. I don't care about any old empires. If they fell and I didn't want them to, I'd just build them up after again. I'd fix everything that fell apart until it was all right and perfect and... Adam, Aziraphale says, gently. 
The boy stops speaking, his gaze still hard and full of rage at the god sitting across from him. It can never be perfect. There's no such thing. You'd never manage it, and in the meantime, people would suffer even more than they already are. But that means you gotta pick, Adam replies, his rage giving way to more general upset. You're just gonna pick who lives and who dies? There's a reason they call it playing God, dear boy. Adam pulls himself into a tight little bundle. I don't like that. No, Aziraphale replies in a low whisper. Neither do I. Come with me, Crowley presses. Aziraphale startles out of his haze. He'd been with Charlotte, encouraging them to ask their father for a ride to the barbershop. They want to cut their hair short, and they're too afraid to ask. Charlotte's father is not a terrible man. He's only ham-fisted and not sure how to handle suddenly caring for another human being. He'll listen, but Charlotte has to reach out first. Hey, Crowley says, nudging Aziraphale with a foot. Are you listening to me? Rebecca and Amara have been caught kissing by a teacher. Their parents have been notified, and Amara is nearly out of her mind with terror. Rebecca keeps trying to calm her girlfriend down, to give her support and be her courage. But Rebecca's own parents know all about her sexuality and don't care who she kisses. She has no frame of reference of what to do. There's an old man in a town called... Hey! Crowley says, sharply. He flops down in the grass in front of Aziraphale and sharply flicks the god between the eyes. Stop that! Listen to me! Aziraphale blinks at him slowly. Oh! Hello! Oh, hello! Crowley mocks softly, rolling his eyes. Do you have any idea what day it is? Aziraphale blinks again. He had just been somewhere near Britain, hadn't he? What day had it been there? It's Thursday, Crowley tells him. What day did you sit down here? Aziraphale considers and then frowns. That can't be right. Monday? Monday, Crowley agrees. Aziraphale can feel his irritation loud and clear and can also readily sense the tight, frantic concern beating underneath it. You haven't moved in days. It rained last night. You'll grow mold. Aziraphale blinks. His clothes are a bit damp. He'd thought it was the dew. I was merely... Prayers. I get it. Listen. Have you considered that maybe you're doing this the wrong way? Have you considered that maybe you're doing the wrong thing? I... Aziraphale. You've been on Earth as long as I have and seen almost all the same things. How many prayers have you seen God answer himself directly? The Lord works in mysterious ways, I know. But you know what that means? He doesn't meddle. For all I know, he might be stomping on a few butterflies and putting some hurricanes into action. Fine, but he's not sitting on the back lawn for days at a time, personally orchestrating the lives of his flock till they suit him, either. You're too involved. 
You're getting lost in the forest for the trees and it isn't helping anybody. They, they're fine. They're fine. They live, they experience, they love, they hate, they die. They always have and always will. And they can do that all well and dandy without you mucking it up. No more messing about, Aziraphale recalls rather gloomily. Come with me, Crowley repeats. I miss you, and you promised me never again will I fail to love you as you deserve. And I deserve to have my friend sit with me, warm and dry, inside. Aziraphale rubs idly at the mark along his arm. I'm sorry, my dear. It's fine, Crawley replies gruffly. Can't expect you to change overnight, can I? Do you think God was all sunshine and roses right after the flood? Hardly. Never did get the hang of softness and light at all, actually. Till that Jesus bit and look how that turned out. Never mind. Don't use him as an example more than you can help it. Aziraphale allows the demon to tuck him to his feet. He leans heavily on Crowley all the way to the living room, but his disciple doesn't complain. At least, not about that. Santa Muerta knocks at the door to his mind, and he cannot help but be pleased, just slightly, that she must ask his permission now to enter it. Hello, he greets her, opening wide his mental door, letting her into the dream. It's a calm and simple affair, just a single weeping willow on the top of a tall, rounded hill. He'd been listening to the rustle of its leaves in his sleep. Santa Muerta tilts her head at him in a grin. You're more wily than I had expected. Hardly, Aziraphale murmurs back, with some affront. I try to leave that sort of thing to Crowley. You're a postal, she comments. It's the first sign she's shown off so much as recognizing the demon exists. Yes, interesting. Unexpected. You're rattled. Pardon the pun, Aziraphale remarks. He pets the grass next to him in invitation. She does not sit. Instead, she looms over him and puts her bony fist between them. She opens her fingers and a cascade of feathers floats to the grassy ground. Aziraphale eyes them. Do you expect me to make a deal after all? No, she replies coolly. I have come to return what is not mine. I gave them to you in good faith. My feathers for passage to hell and temporarily restored ownership of my sword. Yes. Consider this as a return. No strings attached. I was informed that you don't provide returns or gifts without cost. Santa Muerta tilts her skull to glare down at him. Gods don't barter with each other, Aziraphale. Those who try it will always live in regret. I do not have time to regret, and I have no desire for you to send your pet snake after me either. Take them and leave me be. Aziraphale gently collects each frayed end of primary from the stalks of grass. He glances up at where she still stands, breathless chest heaving with some raw emotion he cannot quite name. You truly wanted my subservience so much. Santa Muerta makes a soft, pained noise. She reaches out to touch him, as she often does, but pulls back, 
She does not dare touch another god without permission. Not your submission, she argues. Your, your faith. Your faith is so beautiful, Angelus. It is so full of love. Aziraphale considers this. Yes, I suppose it rather was. And is. Is? Santa Muerta puts her arms around herself. You made a covenant, Aziraphale. You spoke a promise into being, that you shall love and protect and reverie that which you have previously left unattended, your acolyte and all of humankind. Aziraphale stares at her, uncomprehending. The faith you have reclaimed is yours, but it is not a faith in God any longer, and it is not only yours. Aziraphale takes in a shaky breath. That is quite a lot to think about. I will give you more to think about, she says with a hint of her old humor. What you have done is not a tiny matter. Angels of the third sphere have noticed, and it won't be long until their report reaches the ear of the Metatron, which is also the ear of God. A warning? Does that, too, come freely now? Gods do not barter, but we are not adverse to the exchange of favors. Maybe, some day, you will pay me a favor in kind. Aziraphale nods his head, but he's wise enough not to make any verbal concessions. Santa Muerta tilts her skull back in a knowing grin. I am sad to not have made you mine, she admits before she departs. But I am glad to see what you chose instead. You will make a fine god, Aziraphale, god of humanity. I believe you will do very interesting things, and I greatly enjoy interesting. Aziraphale wakes to find Crowley wrapped all around him, his head buried against Aziraphale's neck, his grip tied as if afraid the god might otherwise vanish. They haven't slept so closely in a long while, not since their talk about kisses. Crowley, Aziraphale murmurs. Crowley's eyes snap awake, glowing faintly in the dark. I'm listening, the demon says. I do want you to kiss me. Just so you know. Crowley laughs softly, burrowing back against the god's neck. Thought it was something serious, he mumbles, already half asleep. It is serious, Aziraphale argues. Mm, all right, kiss you tomorrow then. Let me sleep. Aziraphale laughs softly. He wraps his own arms around the thin, gangly form of his friend and follower and trails his fingers up against the ridges of the demon's spine. Good night, dear. Aziraphale wakes up with the demon hovering anxiously over him, his brows drawn tight over his split-pupiled eyes. Last night... Crowley says, all in a rush, as if he's been holding it in a long time, just waiting for Aziraphale to wake up. Did you say I could kiss you? I never said you couldn't. You were the one who... Crowley's lips are softer than he might have expected. Crowley pulls away and runs a decidedly forked tongue over his own lips. His eyes are more animal than typical, scales breaking out like a blush over his cheeks and down his neck. Aziraphale runs a fingertip over the scales at his nape in wonder. 
Oh. Crowley laughs at him, showing a brief flash of fangs. Aziraphale pulls him in, kissing him deeper, uncaring when his fangs pierce Aziraphale's lip, making him bleed. The former angel licks his lips thoughtfully. Blood sacrifice, he murmurs in a low hum. Crowley snickers, licking the split in his flesh in turn. How pagan, Crowley says fondly. Aziraphale blows air into his face, causing Crowley, comically, to rear back, blinking thin membranes over his golden eyes. Don't be rude. We are what we are now. There's no shame in it. Should have done it long ago, Crowley says in careless agreement. No, it couldn't have happened any sooner, Aziraphale reminds him. Only a few years ago, Aziraphale's belief in his place as righteous servant of the Lord had been unshakable, absolute. If anyone had told him then, before the arrival of the Antichrist, before his journey in and out of hell, before his conversion, what lay ahead? Preposterous, Aziraphale huffs. Crowley rubs his thumb over the holes he's left in Aziraphale's bottom lip. He grins, teeth decidedly less sharp, eyes less uncanny. Scales all but disappeared again into smooth skin. You could just about put a stud through this. Aziraphale raises an eyebrow at him. Maybe not so pagan as all that, then, yet. The days stretch before them, and more and more it seems unlikely that the Tabor Cottage kitchen will ever get finished, what with them residing in it and being underfoot. So they take renovations in their own hands. The them ooh and ah in appreciative delight to watch the two entities use their divine and demonic powers to put the place to rights. They should hire you onto one of them home and garden magazines, Brian says from his perch on the newly installed counter. Brian is wearing a hard hat. All of them had been magicked up a hard hat, but only Brian still has his on. Even Wensleydale had determined the area to be danger-free, and had squeaked in faint delight when his hat had summarily disappeared into thin air at a mere snap of Crowley's fingers. Hold still, Pepper snaps at Crowley for the third time. She's just got his hands in her lap and is, with fixed determination, colouring his fingernails with a black marker. If you're gonna be a demon, you ought to look more spooky, Pepper had said, unhappily. There's one of the bigger boys what's gonna graduate next year, and he looks more like a demon than you. He's got black fingernails. And so, there they are. Come to think of it, you don't look much like a god either, Adam tells Aziraphale, rather slyly. Aziraphale raises his brows at the presumptuous young man. And how does a god look, exactly? He challenges which makes Adam and them get caught up in an intense and animated argument about the topic for the next hour and a half. Just godly, Adam determines, by the time the dust has settled. They're all still in the kitchen by that point, but the them are sitting at one of the new dining tables, and Aziraphale is handing out bottles of soda, while Crowley makes burgers and chips appear on plates out of the ether. Show them your trick, Crowley suggests. Aziraphale shoots him a look. Go on, Crowley presses with a suggestive flutter of his brows. Aziraphale sighs, put upon. All of them have their large, innocent eyes on him now, and he cannot possibly resist. 
he raises a hand up, mostly for show. My blessings, then, on all of you. Oh, give me a good one. I got a test in history tomorrow and I haven't studied. Pepper elbows Brian in the ribs with a sharp, shushing hiss. Aziraphale lowers his eyes and smiles softly at the interruption. It's easy touching all of them with just a brush of his good grace. The trick part is that doing so, if he allows it, makes him light up like a Christmas tree. Wow, Wensleydale breathes, agog. Hmm, well, I expect that's all right then, Adam decrees. His wardrobe is still naff, though, Pepper says, as if she herself knows a thing about fashion, excepting that trainers ought to never be anything but well-broken, and oversized button-ups are best for keeping the mud off, so one does not get yelled at for tracking in it. Everyone, including Crowley, looks at Aziraphale. Absolutely not, the god snaps at them. Eat your dinners! Somehow, it turns into a food fight. No one will claim the first volley in the aftermath. Aziraphale suspects Crowley. Crowley suspects Brian. No one suspects Wensleydale, which is, of course, completely correct. Pepper suspects Adam, because Adam always comes up with the best games. Regardless, a chip goes flying across the air. And then a whole burger, messy with ketchup. And then it's pandemonium that quickly splits into two teams. Adam, Pepper and Crowley versus Aziraphale, Wensleydale and Brian. Team Demon upends a whole dining table and uses it as a protective barrier. Team God takes the high ground, scrambling up onto the countertops and throwing their missiles from above with all the appropriate missile noises. When the initial supplies run out, the demon starts to miracle up new materials. Cakes with vibrant colored frostings that will never wash out properly. Delicate flaky pastries full to bursting with gloopy whipped cream. Long pieces of sticky pastas that wrap around limbs like ropes. As Raphael, not one to be outdone, simply conjures a large amount of lemon syllabub to fall right on top of the heads of the opposing side. Crowley splutters out their call for surrender after that, hissing sharply at the acidic citrus taste as the thick whip trails over his mouth. They all clamber together onto the slippery, sticky, colourful floor of the kitchen, clinging to each other for balance and laughing up a storm. Crowley touches each of them, one by one, and miracles them tidy again. He goes to do the same for Aziraphale, but Aziraphale holds him off, a strange expression on his face. What? Crowley asks. The them look up at the duo, equally confused. Hesitantly, Aziraphale touches his tongue again to the corner of his mouth, which he'd done just before, out of reflex, to catch something sticky sweet before it could fall to the floor. Then he grins and runs a fingertip across Crowley's chin, picking up a big piece of lemon syllabub and popping it into his own mouth. Lemon, he remarks thoughtfully. Crowley's realization is a beautiful dawn of light across his features. Not ash. Not ash, Aziraphale agrees and laughs as Crowley pulls their two sticky, slippery, messy bodies together and instigates a rather strange-tasting kiss. Gross, Adam says, peaceably.
The them watch wide-eyed as Aziraphale eats his third cheeseburger in a row. Crowley watches too, far more fond than alarmed. The kitchen and dining area are spotless again, and everyone has finally settled down to actually enjoy their meal. Aziraphale especially enjoys his. Hamburgers and chips are hardly his preference, but there's time enough to rectify that. Once the them have been given a proper send-off and seen safely home, the god and his demon curl up in the living room, close as sky and stars. Try this one, Crowley orders imperiously, popping another chocolate into Aziraphale's mouth. Mmm, caramel. And a bit of coffee? Yeah. This one? Aziraphale laughs. Will you let me finish chewing them first? Maybe. I suppose, if I really must. Crowley's grin is easy and persistent. He hasn't looked so pleased in days. This truly makes you happy, doesn't it? Aziraphale asks, a bit wondering. It makes you happy, Angel. That always makes me happy, too. Crowley refills Aziraphale's wine glass and presses it insistently into his hand. It's a very fine vintage, faintly peppery beyond the sweet fruitiness. Aziraphale's expression goes soft. I had wondered if you'd keep calling me that now. I won't if you'd rather. No, please do. I like it. I always have. Crowley nods, pressing a dark piece of chocolate against his lips in reply. This one, he repeats. Aziraphale huffs softly and obligingly takes the candy into his lips with his tongue. Don't see what London's got that Tadfield hasn't, Pepper says grumpily. Quite a lot, actually, Wensleydale says, brightly. In fact, there's... She doesn't mean literally, Brian intercedes. They've spent ages in London, years and years, home for them. That's all right, isn't it? Tatfield is home, Pepper snaps, bristling. She's been sharp as knives all morning and no one knows how to shake her out of it. Aziraphale comes up behind the girl and lays a dark hand on her own dark cheek. They could almost be family, if you could put aside the currently ethereal glow of the former's skin. Don't you bless me! Pepper snaps at him, pulling out of his reach. Aziraphale kneels so that he is eye to eye with her. He keeps his hand resting gently on her shoulder. We'll visit often, he promises. Not just to make plans and things. Proper visits with card games and cakes. In the meantime, Crowley adds, speaking to all of them, you've got work to do, don't you? Start spreading the word to your peers and the like. Start preparing them for what's ahead. We're just kids, Pepper grouses. She's never been argumentative on such a point before. Pepper longs to stick it to the man, in fact, especially if the man is Satan and God and their acquired legions. What are we supposed to do about it? Just remind them they are powerful, Aziraphale reminds her. Remind them that they have imagination and innovation and no small amount of persistence. Heaven and hell can't hold a candle to that. They can't change, not like you lot. They can't adapt. And they can't rationalize. And they can't see in proper shades of grey. 
remind them that they are capable of terrible good and terrific bad, and that they don't have to do too much of either, as a matter of fact. Crowley tucks lightly at the collar of Aziraphale's jacket. We should go, Angel. Aziraphale ignores him a moment, his searching eyes on Pepper instead. What's got you so worried, dear? he presses. What's wrong? Pepper's usually determined eyes are soft and troubled as any child's might be, with due course. Every time we see you something's different, she says, all in a rush. What about next time? What if you come back and you're all changed again? What if someday you come back and you're so different that you don't... Aziraphale's skin glows again, though he doesn't seem to be doing anything especially. His eyes light up, too, like tiny flames. I now establish my covenant with you. I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind on this planet. No matter what might change in ourselves or in the world, no matter what obstacles arise and empires may fall, Pippin, Pepper, Galadriel, Moonchild, Peterson, we will always call you friend, companion, and peace of our own souls. Aziraphale clears his throat softly, looking away. All right? he asks, embarrassed. Pepper stares at him with wide eyes as all the light flows out of him and he's just Aziraphale again. Slowly, she loops her arms around the grown-up's neck and gives him a brief, hard, choking squeeze. When the end time comes, she says seriously, you and Adam've got my vote. Aziraphale smiles and pets her cheek. Thank you very much.